This was just something that came to me um, early on in December, and I felt I wanted to bring it at the start of this year. So we're reading verse 26 to 28 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That, of course, is the mandate of our creation. This is what we're here for. That establishes the purpose of humanity being on the earth. Those verses right at the beginning. But the word I want to focus on is the word image. We are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. There's something of God in our very nature. And everything about us reflects his glory. The word used for image here in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, is the word icon. It's a Greek word which is translated into English as, you've guessed it, icon. (laughs) However, when we think of an icon, we think of a picture, something that represents that which it portrays. However, the Greek word for icon means much more than that. An icon in Greek is something that portrays that which it represents, but also has something of the essence and the substance of that which it portrays within it. And the closest we can get to understanding the meaning of this word icon is to consider a parent and a child. We might say, isn't he the image of his father? What do we mean by that? He looks like him. But there's more to it than that. In saying this, we're identified that he looks like his father or has characteristics of his father, but that he also has 50% of the genes of his father. Thus, he's not just like him, but has something of the same substance. That's right, Nicholas, you have 50% of your dad's genes. Like it or not. (laughs) And so do you, Daniel. So he's not just like him, but he's got some of the same substance in him. And that's what it means when it says we are made in God's image. We're not just like him. We don't just look like him. We've got some of the substance of God within us. That's incredible. You don't look very incredulous to me. (laughs) But I was really taken aback when I began to think about that. I've got some of the substance of God within me. That's amazing. You and I I are not just representations of God. When we were created, God poured something of himself, his glory, into us. So that we could carry that glory into the whole world. And that's the purpose of humanity. To be glory carriers of the living God. That wherever we go in the world, we might display and demonstrate what God looks like and what he is like in his substance and in his character. 
We're glory carriers. That's our purpose. The uh, Vines Expository Dictionary, when under the reference to icons, says this. The condition of man as a fallen creature has not entirely effaced the image. He is still suitable to bear responsibility. He still has God-like qualities, such as love of goodness and beauty, none of which are found in a mere animal. In the fall, man ceased to be a perfect vehicle for the representation of God. God's grace will yet accomplish more than what Adam lost. Now that last phrase is wonderful. God's grace will yet accomplish more than what Adam lost. In other words, when Adam fell, that image was misshapen, was, 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 was corrupted, and yet it's still there. And through what Jesus has done on the cross, God's purpose is to transform us, not just back to the state that Adam had, but as real representatives of God's glory, and we'll unpack that as we go. God's work in each one of us is to restore in us the image of God that's been marred through sin and corruption that entered humanity at the fall. And understanding this exposes the lie of the serpent in the garden. He tempted humanity with this. He said, you shall be like gods or like God. And yet they already were like God in image and in substance. What he offered was already theirs. You see, Satan can give you nothing that God has not already given you. And all his temptations are lies. Because you are already everything that God intended you to be. It's just a bit marred and messed up at the moment. Jesus' death on the cross was not just about forgiveness of sins. That's part of the package. But it's about far more than that. It was about restoring creation in all in all that had been lost at the fall. That includes restoring you and I to the image of God. That original intention, that original shape that we had in the garden, that's what God's working on in each of our lives, to restore us to be all that we were always intended to be. You're not complete yet. You're a work in progress, and so am I. When Jesus died, he bore in full the consequences of the corruption that entered humanity at the fall. And it was at that time that death entered the world. When he died, he did so as representative of all humanity. He died our death. He experienced the consequence of our corruption. He suffered the pain of our sickness. And he experienced the humility of our betrayal. And all that happened to him at that time was to undo the work of the enemy so that we could no longer, would no longer live under the consequences of the fall. Everything Jesus did was to bring us back to that position that we were originally created and, and to have and the purpose for which we were intended to, to, and put on earth to fulfill. Some of you don't look too thrilled about it at the moment. Seem to be a bit happy in your corrupt, fallen state. <laughs> you and I are liberated to live as God originally intended us to live. 
And when Jesus rose from the dead, he triumphed over death, sin, and Satan. He liberated humanity from bondage and led out a host of captives in his train. He has set us free from all that happened at the fall. We need to grasp it and live in it until it becomes a reality. The moment I accepted the truth of what Jesus achieved on the cross, God began to work in me to restore the image in all its fullness. When God looks at me, he does not see a sinner. What does he see? He sees a saint. The word for saint in the Greek is the word hagios, which is from the same root word as the word holy. You see, in other words, when God looks at me, he sees someone who is now set apart and dedicated for his service to fulfill his purpose for which I was originally intended and put on earth. That's the meaning of the word saint. Someone set apart for the purposes of God. We're no longer here just to live as we choose, keeping our nose clean, hoping to make it to heaven one day. We are people who are separated for God's purposes. And unless we are fulfilling God's purposes, we're wasting our time on this earth. I'll say that again. Unless we're fulfilling God's purposes, we're wasting our time on this earth. Because God has a purpose for each one of us. And our purpose is to take his image and his glory into all the earth. So God is in the business of restoring that broken image in each one of us so that wherever we go, those who encounter us will see us and experience something of the glory of God in that encounter. When somebody, anybody touches you, they will see the glory of God and encounter something of that image that is originally impressed at creation. If we think of creation in these terms, we must also acknowledge that those people we encounter in the world every day are also made in the image of God. They've not yet begun the process of having that image restored, and yet in a very very real way they are little images of God. When I realised this, it brought me up short. Everybody I encounter as I go about my daily life, whether they know God or not, is made in the image of God. Something of God still resides, whether it be corrupted and fallen or not. Even those who carry out horrendous acts like the person who killed 39 people in a nightclub in Turkey last night. He's made in the image of God. He may do horrendous things, but there is something of the imprint of God in his soul. And that's hard to come to terms with. whether they acknowledge it or not, they're made in the image of God. And if I despise my fellow man or woman, I'm despising that which is made in God's image. If I mistreat them, I'm not honouring the image of God in them. And the image may be marred and there may be little glory in it, and yet it's still there and present within that person. I should pray that God will restore that image in them. In contrast with the general image of God in humanity, let's turn over to Colossians in chapter 1, verse 15, speaking of Jesus. He, 
is the image, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. In that wonderful passage, Paul brings us back to the image of God in his son, Jesus Christ. In contrast with the general image of humanity, we look at Jesus. In this wonderful passage, we encounter Jesus in all his glory. And here Paul begins by stating that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are all made in God's image, but Jesus represents God and displays his glory in a way that none other can or does. In Jesus, the full glory of God was present, but shielded by frail flesh. And yet even so, his glory shone out for those who encountered him who knew him and who knew that they'd been with someone who was special, who was different. See what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 16. He says, It's moving about in my Bible, so I can't find it. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from his excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the Mount, holy mountain. And here you've got Peter's eyewitness um, account of him encountering Jesus in all his glory, seeing him as the, as the glorified man, demonstrating the image and glory of God in that place on the mountain. And Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Can you imagine that? Seeing God in all his glory displayed before you in the person of Jesus, the friend that you've been walking with for for a few years. John is similar in his account at the beginning of, of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen uh, with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about his friend and yet he's talking about him in awestruck tones in seeing that, that in, in, in recounting that one that they'd, they'd walked with and yet was the one who was full of glory. Like no other, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when he came amongst us, he displayed that image for all to see. And he's the model for what God wants to do in each one of us. Jesus is the model 
for what God wants to do in each one of us. He wants to restore us, not just to what Adam was like, but so that we look and sound and become more and more like Jesus day by day. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says it like this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You and I are in that process of transformation from glory to glory to glory. The glory of God is being revealed more and more. The image is being restored that was originally intended. And you and I are becoming more like Christ as we submit our lives and as we walk that out day by day. That image that was imprinted is becoming more and more real. That image that was corrupted is becoming more and more restored. You may wake up on a bad morning thinking the image of God doesn't feel very strong in me this morning. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Once we accepted Jesus as our saviour and we submitted our lives to him, the Holy Spirit came to his eyes and is bringing about that work in us to make us like Jesus more and more day by day as we submit and surrender our life to him. So we are a work in progress, and that, but the Spirit is at work within each one of us to transform us so that we look and act like Jesus. He represented all of us on the cross so that we might represent him and be like him in life. And this is where we each need to embrace our destiny. We're not just here to wait for the bus to take us to heaven. We're here to represent the image of God in the world. We're here to be a little little Christ wherever we go. Do you know that's what the word Christian means? Little Christ. If, you're, if you acknowledge the name Christian here this morning, you're a little Christ. It was originally a term of mockery, but I think it's actually quite suitable. You are a little Christ. We're here to engage with the Holy Spirit as he does his transforming work in our lives. You see, being holy is not about trying not to sin each day. Being holy is about embracing who we are through the cross and working with God to bring about that transformation in our lives. And that's a matter of daily surrendering our will to his. God doesn't want us to be in this sin-confess cycle where each day we go, oh no, I've done it again and I'm confessing to you, Lord. And then the next day we go, oh no, I've done it again and I confess to you, Lord. No, next day we go, oh no, I've done it again. God doesn't want us in that kind of a cycle and concentrating on sin. He wants us to be embracing our purpose and allowing the Holy Spirit and working with the Holy Spirit to bring that transformation in our being so that we display his glory. He doesn't want us to live with a sense of guilt and failure because we don't get it right today. Rather, he's looking for our whole lives to be given over to those, over to who we are now in Christ. Image bearers, carriers of his glory, representatives of the Father. Little Christs. In 1 Corinthians 15.49, speaking of the resurrection, it says, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we will bear the image of the heavenly man. That's our destiny. And it may not yet be completed. And it may not be completed in this life. It may not be completed if we live to be 82, as my dad was saying earlier. 
But we can be sure of one thing. Our destiny is to be like Christ. And in the resurrection, that's, that work will be completed. And one day we will display his glory in all its fullness. And we will reign with him. And we will carry his glory into all the earth. And God will restore this creation that has been marred. And he will bring all things back under his authority. And we will be the glory carriers alongside him. Uh, taking his glory into all the earth as we were originally intended to do because Jesus is coming back to make that a reality. Right now, Romans 18 to 21 tells us the whole of creation is straining and waiting for that day. And we see the struggles of creation around us. We see the struggles in the world. We see the things that are going on. But they are birth pangs and give us a certainty that one day Jesus will come back and complete the work. A day is coming when he, when he will return, where creation itself will be liberated and the glory of God will be seen in creation as, as it's never been seen before. And the good news is that you and I will be part of that. We will see the lion lie down with the lamb. We will see all things in the created order in harmony. We will see the glory of God filling the whole earth. Why? Because that glory will be in us in all its fullness. At the beginning of this year, I want us to change our mindset. We are not sinners. We are saints. We are not just flesh and blood, but image bearers of deity. We are not just trudging through life, trying to get by each day, but we are people of destiny, tasked with taking the glory of God into every corner of the earth. We are not just winding down and falling apart until death comes to claim us, but we are moving inexorably towards a greater destiny, which is to be like him in the resurrection. Let the truth of who you are, made in the image of God, permeate every part of your being, and let that truth shape your attitude and actions in this coming year. That's my exhortation for this morning. Let that image shape attitudes let it shape actions let it shape self-image let it shape destiny amen Amen. let's pray and then we'll sing and affirm the god we worship father we we thank you for the image that is within us the image that is yours and your glory And let us, Lord, indeed be those who carry that glory into all the earth and in every part of our life in which we walk. God, be with us, we pray, this year. And may your purposes be fulfilled amongst us and in our lives, individually and collectively. Amen.